Welcome to another episode of Energy Talks. I'm journalist Markham Hislop. This podcast is all about interesting conversations with energy and climate experts from around the world. And don't forget to follow us on social media, on Twitter, at E-N-E-R-G-I Media, and my personal handle, at PoliticalHam, on Facebook, facebook.com slash energymedia. Energy.media is our website, where you'll find Markham and Energy columns, news stories and op-eds, and the Energy Student Resources Portal, a wiki-style collection of our work that's free for high school teachers and university professors to use in their classrooms. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. In this episode, I'm going to be talking to the Honourable Jonathan Wilkinson, Canada's Natural Resources Minister, about Canada and the global energy transition. So welcome to the interview, Jonathan. Thank you very much. Look, Minister, you meet regularly with global energy ministers. So what is their take, and yours as well, of course, on the pace and scale of the energy transition? Well, I think my answer is probably a little bit different than it might have been before the uh, the terrible Russian invasion of Ukraine. Um, I've spent a lot of time with uh, the G7 ministers, but also uh, IEA ministers over the past uh, past number of months. I would say that uh, there is obviously a heightened interest in energy security and the displacement of, of Russian oil and gas in Europe in particular, but it has really given people pause to think about how we can accelerate the energy transition to move towards uh, renewables and hydrogen in a manner that actually will en- enable greater uh, domestic energy security. Is, is that the view, uh, you know, the consensus within the, uh, the Canadian federal, you know, the federal government? It is. I mean, we recognize this is a transition. We are absolutely committed to helping our friends in Europe to displace Russian oil and gas in the short term. And we've you know, announced an increase in production in order to do that. Um, but what I would say is we are also very focused and having many conversations with them about how we can help them in the context of accelerating their transition and ours. Um, and that particularly in that, in that context relates to, to hydrogen in this country that we could export to Europe. Now, we've talked about uh, energy security and obviously climate policy, but there's also an economic dimension to this. The, you know, many of the experts I talk to uh, explain how the global economy is being disrupted by this confluence of many new technologies. And other country leaders, and President Biden comes to mind, have talked about the race to be competitive in the emerging low carbon uh, economy. Does the Trudeau government share that urgency? Absolutely. Um, It is a competitive race. I've said this a number of times publicly. It's a competitive race amongst uh, major economies. It's a competitive race amongst uh, major enterprises. Um, and, uh, and we need to be focused. And, and certainly that is very much what we are focused on is, is driving those opportunities that Canada is uniquely situated to, to seize. Um, I, you may have seen that we announced recently a process with the provinces and territories, industry, Indigenous peoples around regional uh, energy and natural resource tables. It's about really seizing those opportunities specific to each of the provinces and territories that can ensure Canada wins economically in this low carbon future. Now, being competitive in the low carbon future includes electrifying as much of the Canadian economy as possible by 2050. Do you think Canadians appreciate how difficult it will be to double or triple power generation by mid-century? And why aren't we talking more about this? Well, you're absolutely right. We need to be talking more about this. This is the greatest challenge that we face. There are other challenges, of course, but I I would tell you this is the greatest challenge that we face is 
um, ensuring that our grids are capable of, uh, of providing the power that we need. Um, and as you say, the, the projections are that we will need to double or triple uh, the generation capacity within this country by 2050. I don't think everything is going to be electrified. There will certainly be pathways and, and applications that we utilize hydrogen for. Um, but certainly this is a conversation and this is going to be the focus of, uh, of part of the discussions under each of these tables. Each of these grids is a provincial responsibility, but the federal government needs to be there to help. And we are absolutely committed to doing that, including building transmission interties between certain provinces to help um, ensure that there is adequate flow of, of electricity to, to service the needs that we're going to see. Well, you've been you're responsible for the federal government's efforts to decarbonize Canadian electricity systems, and that includes the creation of a pan-Canadian grid council. So you have a forum for the provinces in which they can have those kind of conversations. Are you, you know, based on your experience with so far, are you convinced that the provinces, in fact, are willing to come to the table and talk about, you know, interprovincial electricity trade? I, I think so. Um, certainly the, the, the first one that we've been working on is the Atlantic Loop in Atlantic Canada. And I think we've made a lot of progress there. There's still a little bit more to do before we actually have a deal. But, but I think we've made a lot of progress and that will help us to phase out coal in New Brunswick and Nova Scotia. But it will also start to set those provinces up for success in a, in a more electrified economy. So I, I do think so. But, but clearly, um, and, and I would just say provinces and territories are very focused on trying to ensure that they seize the economic opportunities for their citizens. And they know that the, the grid is part of, of the enabling infrastructure we're going to need. So um, I do think so. It's not simple, for sure. Uh, it's going to require lots of conversation and it's going to require a lot of thought. The federal government is going to be there to work in partnership with provinces and to help to build that, uh, that grid of the future that we are going to require. Let's shift over to a focus on uh, oil and gas. Uh, what's your take on the disruption that the Canadian oil and gas industry is already experiencing. They, they're, you know, many companies are having trouble accessing capital, for instance, uh, ESG issues, uh, and the likelihood that that disruption will accelerate this decade and beyond. I mean, the, I interviewed the International Ag Energy Agency uh, about six months ago, and you know, they think that probably 2030, 2032, we see peak oil demand, fairly rapid decline after that. That has huge implications for the Canadian oil and gas industry. It absolutely is. Um, I mean, certainly uh, we need to be thinking about how we reduce emissions in the oil and gas space during this period of time where we're not seeing declines. Um, and, you know, we would echo the IEA. It's probably sometime in the early 2030s or, or the mid 2030s when you start to see significant declines. I would just say to you that if you talk to, I don't know if you were talking to Dr. Biral at the IEA or someone else, but, but if you look at, uh, at the IEA's report on the net zero future, what they, what they say, and what a lot of people don't understand, is that even in a net zero 2050 timeframe, um, you're still going to, the world's still going to need a quarter of the barrels of oil that we have now. It's going to need about half of the amount of gas that we have now. We simply won't be burning it. We won't be creating carbon emissions associated with it. We'll be using it for waxes and lubricants and petrochemicals and hydrogen. Um, and those countries that are focused on driving down emissions from their oil and gas base, the production emissions associated to zero or near zero are going to have a competitive edge in the world. And so what we're focused on is working with our sector to enhance their long-term economic competitiveness to ensure they're part of that, that, that solution. And so that's, that's, that's uh, not simple, um, but I think that's a, that's a challenge that our sector is willing to engage. 
Well, I want to talk about that for a moment because, you know, the, the sector, uh, the oil and gas CEOs are asking the federal government for not just billions, but tens of billions to finance their carbon capture, utilization and storage infrastructure. And I would like, I want to ask you the question, has anybody in the federal government or have you seen anywhere a, an economic modeling that shows whether or not the Canadian oil industry can be competitive when there's only 25 million barrels of oil uh, demand in the world? Well, I, I would say a couple things. Um, clearly, the offshore in Newfoundland and Labrador can. I mean, uh, you, uh, you see the, the, the projects there, which are ultra low emissions, have opportunities to drive them even lower. Uh, the most recent project that was approved is a net zero project by 2050, and the, the, the uh, emissions prior to that are very, very low. Um, in, in Alberta and Saskatchewan and in the oil sands, there are huge opportunities to drive down emissions. Um, right now, it is kind of average in heavy oil, and there will be a need for heavy oil for lots of applications. Um, there is a huge opportunity to drive emissions down. You probably have seen the Pathways Group, which is the largest of the oil sands companies, have committed to net zero by 2050. So I think there's a lot that we can do. Um, but, but again, Canada needs to get out ahead of this. I mean, some people think that you're, you're doing something to the oil and gas sector by requiring emissions reductions. You're not doing something to the, the sector. You're trying to make it more competitive on a go-forward basis. Well, and at Energy Media, we've taken the editorial position for a number of years now that ultimately the oil sands has to transition from producing feedstock for fuels to feedstock for materials manufacturing. And what I'm hearing in your answers is the Canadian government would agree with that. Absolutely. I mean, and you, I'm sure you've probably talked to the folks at Alberta Innovates about the bitumen beyond combustion program. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's not just things like asphalt, it's also carbon graphite and, and a whole bunch of things that could be enabled in terms of a materials perspective. Again, you know, sometimes we fall into this trap where we say the enemy of climate change is fossil fuels. That's not actually true. The enemy of climate change is carbon emissions. And if you're actually using the oil sands products to make other products that don't involve burning them, don't involve releasing carbon emissions into the atmosphere, the impact on climate change is zero. Will we see the federal government uh, come forward with significant funding to advance that strategy of shifting uh, Alberta bitumen to feedstock for materials? Could be carbon fiber, could be activated carbon, could be asphalt binder. But tremendous opportunities, but right now it's, uh, I wouldn't say entirely, but mostly funded by the, the province. But, you know, can Canada bring the big red checkbook uh, to, that, to that game? Well, we are certainly interested in advancing those conversations. I met with, uh, with Alberta Innovates about this. Actually, I met them a couple of times in the last few months um, and certainly have talked to the Alberta government about it and, and to many of my colleagues here. Um, these are exactly the kinds of pathways that we are interested in pursuing. And you know, I certainly think the federal government has a role to play. Now, Minister, this is a bit of a contentious question, but what are we gonna do about Alberta? Because this is, you know, they, they, Alberta makes up 26% of national GHG emissions. The oil, the oil and gas industry makes up a quarter. The oil sands are 11%. Plus, it's it's in a danger of of it's an industry in danger of serious disruption going going forward. And so, so what do what do and and I have to say is somebody who's reported on this for many years and and been involved in some of the political discussions around the industries attitude and approach to the transition, they're not making it easy. What do we do? 
Well, I think what we do is is uh, we try to be thoughtful about the areas in which there are, are opportunities as we move towards what has to be a lower carbon future. I mean, let's be clear, this is a science issue. Climate change is a science issue. It's not a partisan issue. It's not a political issue. It's a science issue. So we, uh, we have to follow the science or the, or what the situation we're going to leave our children will be disastrous. Um, but we have to be thoughtful about how we can actually move forward in a manner that can ensure that all provinces, including Alberta, including Saskatchewan, can actually be prosperous going forward. I, I should tell you, I, I grew up in Saskatchewan. I worked for the province of Saskatchewan. I'm pretty familiar with the prairies. Um, I think that the opportunities for Alberta are huge. Uh, if, if you think about this, I mean, yes, I understand that there is some fear about what 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 change may happen. But look, if you think about driving emissions down for products like what you're talking about, there's a great opportunity. I, I think hydrogen is an enormous opportunity for Alberta, um, given the evolution in technology where we can actually capture virtually all of the carbon and we can reduce the, the emissions in the upstream, you know, far beyond what we have done to date. Um, you can get to the point where you have al almost zero carbon hydrogen derived from natural gas. The, Alberta has an abundance of critical minerals, which are going to be needed in the energy transition. Um, you know, Alberta and Saskatchewan have the, 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 the base products for biofuels, which uh, can be a huge opportunity. So my, my perspective is we need to be working together. The sector gets that. Um, I have, I have great conversations with the oil and gas sector. We are working hand in hand to try to make this happen. And I will tell you that the conversations with the government in, in Alberta, generally, I, I recognize publicly there are often disputes um, on issues around emissions reductions, but my, my conversations with my counterparts, Anya Savage in Alberta, are actually very constructive, and, and I look forward to advancing all of these things. We all have an interest in a strong economy going forward. That doesn't matter whether you're conservative, you're liberal, or you're a Democrat. Well, it's lovely meeting a fellow Saskatchewanian. Always, in, always enjoy that. Um, now... <laughs> Your mandate letter directs you to support the, and I quote, support the future and livelihood of workers and their communities in the transition to a low carbon economy. I know there's a lot of anxiety in Alberta and Saskatchewan, particularly because, you know, people are saying, look, I'm making $100,000, $150,000 in the oil patch. I can only make fifty dollars or $60,000 installing solar panels, for example. And what does the federal government plan to help you know, energy workers, uh, you know, today's energy workers become tomorrow's energy workers? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question. Um, so I would say I certainly understand the anxiety um, and, and the view that somehow, you know, somebody in Ottawa is saying to you, uh, you know, you make $120,000, $130,000 a year that either you're going to install solar panels or you're going to work at a coffee shop or something and, and your standard of living is going to go down significantly. That's not the case, but we need to do a, a much better job of having conversation with people about what the future looks like. That's exactly why we've kicked off these regional energy and resource tables is to paint a picture for folks about what those opportunities areas are, where the jobs are going to come from. When people talk about this idea of this just transition, my question is always, well, transition to what? You've got to be able to tell people what that looks like. And I will tell you that it's not as scary as a lot of people think. Like a hydrogen production facility needs the same skill sets that an oil refinery does. A biofuels production plant needs the same skill set as an oil refinery does. It's not like there's going to be a one-to-one -one match for the jobs of the future with the skills of today. That's true. But a lot, there's a lot of that which will happen. And in, in cases where that doesn't happen, 
the government, the federal government, the provincial governments, it's incumbent on us to ensure that we have appropriate investments in training to ensure that those folks who may be displaced have the opportunity to actually train for some of these jobs of the future. But again, I do think that many of the jobs of the future are going to look very similar from a skill set perspective. And the last thing I would say is a lot of people are worried about displacement of workers and that we're going to have a lot of people who are unemployed. That is not true. And to be honest, my concern is exactly the opposite, which is we're going to have so many jobs that we will not have enough labor to actually seize the various opportunities. Just think about buildings. We've got to retrofit 70% of the buildings in this country by 2050. They will all be standing in 2050. We do not have the labor force to do that. We don't have the electricians or the plumbers. We are going to have to be very thoughtful about how we address labor requirements because we're going to need more, not less. This is a theme that comes up over and over again in my interviews with international experts, because the the people who are looking to the to the future economy, this, uh, you know, basically the electric future, the electric economy, the electrified economy, if we make the right decisions now, we can be we can create more value, more jobs, more prosperity than we've ever had. And it really is the, the question becomes, do we make the right choices today? Or do we make the wrong choices fall behind, you know, maybe we let we cling to the status quo too long. And that's an it's a narrative that we don't talk about nearly enough in this country is how things could actually be, you know, so much better five or 10, 15 years from now, than than they currently are. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, having spent a long time in the business community, if you're a company, and, and your external environment is changing and you do nothing to respond to that, almost certainly you're not going to have a very, a very robust business in the future. Things are changing around us. We can't change that. We can't say, well, we wish climate change away. It, it exists, it's happening. We need to think about how we actually address the fact that the external environment is changing. And those countries and those companies that are first to act in a thoughtful way are going to actually be, be successful as we move forward. And, you know, as somebody, I spent almost 20 years in the clean tech sector as a CEO and a senior executive running clean tech companies. I mean, I, I, I've been in, in the sector that actually looks about the, at the future and thinks about the future on an ongoing basis. We all need to get on our toes. We can't be on our back foot. If we're on our back foot, Canada will not prosper. We need to be moving forward. And that's why I think, I, I, I think the political debate in Canada needs to stop about whether climate change is real or whether it's worth addressing climate change. And it needs to be more about how do we do this in a manner that's actually going to promote prosperity for all of us. Well, speaking of how we're going to do that, you've mentioned hydrogen about half a dozen times, and I've, I haven't taken the bait so far, but I'm going to now. So there's, yeah, and there's still some debate actually about whether hydrogen will be competitive and, and whether it can compete with electricity, for instance, in long haul trucking and heavy industry and that sort of, sort of thing. But it seems like Promises like Alberta and Saskatchewan, which have tremendous wind and solar resources, and you know it's so low cost, uh, clean electricity becomes the input into green hydrogen, and has all sorts of implications for transportation and storage in uh, in electricity systems, that sort of thing. How I, I guess we can assume that the federal government is is full on, in full support of, of hydrogen. How quickly can we build? Uh, hydrogen uh, into the Canadian energy system? Well, I, th I think we can actually uh, build it quite quickly. It depends on the applications. But 
I mean, as you will know, there are many industrial applications for hydrogen already. Um, the first step for us is actually stopping the release of carbon emissions associated with extracting hydrogen from natural gas and actually moving from what's called gray to blue. Um, I'm not a big fan of colors. I think we should talk about carbon intensity and, and get out of the political debate about blue and green and purple and whatever. But but um, but there's a step there. Um, there is a there's a step in terms of home heating where you can actually blend uh, a certain proportion of hydrogen into natural gas and reduce the carbon intensity. So you can do that very quickly. Um, those are start the start of building domestic load that actually then will enable other applications, but also export. Germany and, and Europe are very focused on hydrogen for a range of applications. Many of them are industrial, but also home heating. I, I will tell you, yes, I know there's still an ongoing debate about, about long haul trucking, but I do think hydrogen is actually a very good solution in the long haul trucking uh, area. Um, and uh, and we are doing trials of long haul trucks in, in Alberta, actually, and the Americans are doing the same thing, which use fuel cells and hydrogen. So we have a strategy for building out load um, domestically, but we're also looking very much at export opportunities. I will tell you, the Germans are extremely important and the number of proposals particularly in Newfoundland, Labrador, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick that are coming forward right now is quite, quite incredible. Now, final question, uh, Jonathan. And uh, back in 2016, I interviewed one of your predecessors, uh, Jim Carr. And when I, you know, I asked him about the, the energy transition. And you know, at that time, it hadn't accelerated yet. It wasn't top of mind the way it is today. But he said, look, the federal government, Justin Trudeau's government and cabinet are full, fully in support of, we understand the energy transition. This is a, you know, a framework within which we operate. And so I wanna ask you now, six years on, is the senior leadership in the government still, they get it? Does the prime minister get it? And are we gonna be seeing that kind of, you know, we're gonna see a little more leadership uh, on around this, the energy transition? Yeah, I mean, the Prime Minister certainly gets it. This is something he is deeply invested in and passionate about. Um, what I would say is um, that uh, I had the great fortune of actually being the Minister of Environment and Climate Change and pulling together Canada's most uh, comprehensive climate plan. Um, and and we, we worked to actually ensure that we had a pathways with respect to emissions reductions. Of course, we, we started to have conversations about how you can use that as an opportunity to advance the economic agenda and make this transition a successful one. But when the Prime Minister actually asked me to move from being Environment Minister to uh, Natural Resources Minister, the specific thing that he said to me was, we need to actually have a very robust strategy about how we're going to create prosperity for all regions of this country when we are moving towards a future that's going to be a different future. And, um, and uh, that is a great challenge, but it is one that I am extremely excited about. Um, I think it leverages a lot of the work that I've done in clean technology. And, um, and uh, yes, the, the government is very much focused on this on a go-forward basis. Well, Minister Wilkinson, thank you very much for, for coming in and talking to me today. And uh, we're going to be reporting on your efforts uh, to help Canada transition to that low carbon economy with great interest. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you.